Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, this week, we are very lucky to sit down and talk with adventurer, artist, and just all around awesome person, uh, Kelly Halpin. Kelly is a mountain athlete from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, up by the Tetons, and just an amazing mountainous area of the world like it's awesome uh so many adventures like accessible to people who live up there and she has taken on truly like some of the things we talk about in this episode have to be some of the hardest endurance mountain events quote unquote or whatever (laughs) adventures that you could take on uh we'll talk about the world which is the Wasatch Ultimate Ridge link-up. I hope I'm doing that correctly. Um, you should stop the podcast right now and just look up what this route looks like. It is intense. Like It is on the edge of cliffs, on knife edges. Um, it looks like on all of these ridges, it looks really really intense and it looks really difficult to do so uh kelly and i will talk about that a little bit we also talk about the grand teton picnic uh which we'll get into but it's this really cool almost like rite of passage for uh mountain athletes i guess in in that area um so we'll get into that but i think when i initially thought about you know, what, what did I want to talk to Kelly about? I thought of the multiple ways people try to express what the experience of adventure is like, you know, like you go out into the woods. A lot of times you're by yourself. A lot of times you're solo. You have this potentially like life changing experience or paradigm shifting thing happens while you're out there and it's really hard and difficult but at the same time it's beautiful and completely immersing and I think what I find interesting is how do people express what that experience meant to them you know like when they come back it's it's always interesting to me like someone comes back from doing something and and they're trying to explain to their loved ones or to their coworkers or their friends, like what that experience was like. And I just think it's really interesting and creative, the different approaches people take, you know, like maybe they're storytelling, maybe they're, they were out there and they were doing photography and they were taking pictures. And, and when it comes to something like the world, which we'll talk about, like, I know, like, Anytime you're in the mountains, it's really hard for pictures to do justice to what that felt like. And yet there are some really amazingly talented photographers that can capture that, you know, Um, or in Kelly's case, she's an artist and her art is amazing. Please go to her website. Please check it out. I absolutely loved everything. Me and my wife were clicking through all of her artwork on her website and we're like, this stuff is really, really cool. Um, but there's people like Kelly who, you know, are are expressing what these adventures meant might have meant to them through their art. Um, and I just think that's I think that's endlessly fascinating because I think people do it in different ways, obviously, like everyone's unique to themselves. And and so 
when trying to express these deeper things that happen during an adventure, like people take different approaches. Um, but I always, I'm always interested when I meet somebody who's really creative um, and really adventurous. And I like to see kind of the intersection of those two ideas. So uh, that's kind of what this podcast is about, like the basic, the basis of it. Uh, but also like just about some really cool adventures. So let's just jump right into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 319 with Kelly Halpin. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Kelly Halpin to the podcast. Um, I'm really beyond honored to have you on the show. Just even doing um, some research of some of the adventures you've gone on is completely mind-blowing and at the same time like you're an artist adventurer like i just i think like the intersection between those two is so interesting so i'm excited to to chat with you today thanks chris i'm really excited to be here thank you so much yeah. for having me well i gotta start with this can i hear about the i'm hoping i'm saying it right the world mm -hmm. can you talk yeah, a little bit about that that is like i watched a couple videos about it this morning and it just seems like one of the hardest events, one of the hardest trails anyone could put themselves through, honestly. Yeah, um, you know, I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, it's my it's my favorite ridgeline link up in the world, which is why I've done it four times now. <laughs> and we'll probably go and do it a fifth time at some point, maybe even a sixth time. I don't know. I love it. Um, yeah, the Whirl, the Wasatch Ultimate Ridge Linkup, is a route that Jared Campbell came up with that links up the major peaks along a ridgeline around Little Cottonwood Canyon outside of Salt Lake City. So you basically go from city level down low up to 6,000 feet and you link up I think it's over 32 named peaks along the route. I might be botching that number. And then there's a couple of sub peaks that don't have names. Yeah. And I, I believe the elevation accumulation is between 18,000 and 20,000 feet. My watch has always been in between those numbers. So I'm not entirely sure what the, the proper stat is, but yeah. yeah, I'd say between 18 and 20,000 feet. It's 36 miles long, but you can't do it super fast because most of it is climbing. Um, third, fourth, and some fifth class climbing. And there's no trail for most of it. So it's pure rock link up. Um, you that's have to the part it. that looks, that's the part that looks like painful and a mild, like not mildly, like really terrifying, if I'm going to be honest, is the fact that there's no trail and you're just scrambling like for most of it. Yeah, it's pretty much just a ridge scramble. Um, some parts of it are very exposed. Some parts of it are less exposed. A couple of parts are like pretty mellow ridge line, but it's kind of a mix of all of it. Um, I definitely say the the first third of it is definitely the most exposed, sustained exposed. It's just, you don't want to fall to the left or right. And sometimes you're just walking on a knife edge or scrambling around a knife edge. Um, but it's beautiful. There's a lot of wildlife up there. I've run into lots of goats. In fact, I've had to chase off a couple of goats because they were getting ornery. <laughs> I've run into moose, I've run into deer, um, birds. Um, and it's just really cool being up there, especially during the night because you're above Salt Lake City. So you can see the whole city lit up below. Um, 
yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's a really cool, cool place to be. That's amazing. Well, I have to ask you about goats real quick. Have you ever been like kind of scared of goats? Oh yeah. I've run okay. into goats. Thank you. <laughs> sometimes they are totally fine and yeah. sometimes they totally come at you. I mean, I've had really close encounters on Granite Peak in Montana where uh, a nanny goat just would not leave me and my running partner alone, just like came within feet of us over and over again. And because we were also on technical terrain, we couldn't get that far ahead of the goat. So the goat just kept catching up to us and we were like, oh my God, is she going to like, is she going to attack us? Is she going to leave us alone? And we just were like, oh my gosh, we have to keep backing up. And oh yeah, she was, she was really, she was, she was, she was really like, <laughs> yeah. Persistent. Um, and then this last time on the whirl, I ran into a Billy during the night who came at me and I had to chuck rocks at him because he was, I mean, I didn't know exactly what he was going to do. Um, I didn't throw rocks. I shouldn't say at him, but near like him, in front of him, scare in him front away. Of him, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so eventually he left me alone. And then the second to last peak on the whirl is Bighorn Peak. And I ran into uh, a nanny and a baby um, on the route. And because you're on kind of a ridgeline, there wasn't really an option for me to go left or right. Like she yeah. was kind of just like right in my way. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to get around this? And uh, yeah, eventually I kind of like climbed around. But every time I went around a rock, hoping I would like skirt around them, she would just pop up right in front of me. And was like giving me the like, don't get near me, you know, look. And I was like, oh my god, like, like, I'm trying not to. Like, like, you're I'm in my way. I'm trying, but I'm like, I have to like, like, I'm like, I really need to like link up this ridge line and like, please give me some space so I can get around you. And yeah. Yeah. Eventually it worked out, but I was like, oh my god, like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and rattlesnakes, lots of rattlesnakes on that route too. Run into plenty of those. Which like when you're scrambling over rocks and they have like these weird crevasses to like mm -hmm. be inside, it's. That's really scary to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think about that a lot. Usually, usually once you get up high enough, there's there's no snakes. But yeah, um, both on the way up and down, different times on the different attempts on the world. Um, yeah, run into run into some big big snakes. That's great. Well, so what? Um, you know, you mentioned Jared Campbell kind of designed the route, but like, when did you first hear about it, and why did it why did it inspire you to the point where you're like, I'm definitely doing this four times. Well, I definitely didn't think I was going to do it four times. Um, <laughs> I think I heard about it in 2016 or 2016. I think it was 2000. Yeah. Uh, 2016, I first heard about it and 2000, I think that's the first time I got on the route too and started like playing around on it, doing little sections of it. Um, same in 2017. And I believe, yeah, 2017, I, also messed around on the route a little bit and I was drawn to it because my background is climbing yeah and I'm a climber that became a runner so I was like wow this is really cool because it's kind of more of a climbing route than a running route but you have to have endurance to do the entire thing and you have to be able to move really fast on technical terrain and be comfortable with exposure and be good with footwork in order to you know do this in a reasonable amount of time uh, and it, I don't know, it just sounded like a really fun challenge. And, and yeah. I completed it. Well, the first time I tried to do it, um, see, I believe that was early. I think it was early 2018 was the first time I gave it an attempt. Um, I actually talked to a fellow La Sportiva teammate at the time. And we were like, well, nobody's done it unsupported yet. 
So maybe we should try to do it unsupported, which is really difficult to do because there's no water on the route. Yeah. Except for if you use the tram uh, at the top of Snowbird, which would be the beginning of the... Mm, how do I... I'm trying to figure out exactly. It's like the beginning of the last third of the route. Okay. So you have to make yeah, it two-thirds. Like maybe like a little bit past halfway on the route. Okay. Snowbird. Um, and there's a water fountain there, which technically counts as an unsupported source because it's a free tap on the route. Um, and at the time we were like, okay, like maybe we can, maybe we can like bring enough water with us for the first like half or so, and then refill there and continue on. Um, my partner though, wasn't prepared for the amount of exposure and climbing on the route. And so we ended up, um, having to like kind of bail off of the route, um, after the first third, because she was like, yeah, I'm like, this is not what I thought it was. Like I'm, I'm out of this, you know, this is not for me. So, you know, I was a little bit bummed about that, but I came back and did it again um, a few months, I think like a month or so later. Yeah. Um, and I did it supported that time because I was like, well, I just really want to do it. So I did a water cache at Cardiff and a water cache at Snowbird. And the way that I did it the first time and actually every time I've done it since, I start at noon so that I go and do the most exposed parts during the day, the easier parts at night. And then I'm in the daylight again when I climb off of Lone Peak, which is the last crux um, going down the gully into Bells Canyon. Um, it's like a a really, really steep scramble on loose rock into a very steep gully, which sometimes has snow in it. And uh, you wanted to make sure you could see that stuff. That's like, yeah. is that how people normally do it? Or do some people kind of just go whenever? No, I, think, I think most people start in the middle of the night. Okay. Um, which which is fine too, and that's how we the very very first time I tried it, and I didn't finish with um with uh my La Sportiva partner, uh, we started in the middle of the night, which it was okay. I mean the route finding's a little messy, so we weren't really moving as fast as I would have liked, but you know that was fine because you get to go from the city to yeah. feet straight up without having the heat of the day. Which that's the cra that's another and crazy part. You just go the start you go six thousand feet straight up mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah up, up to the twins and it's it's hot if you start in the middle of the day yeah like, and yeah every time i've done it since then i've started in the middle of the day because that's just i guess how i'm used to navigating it now um and i still like moving fast on the the first part of the ridge in the light because i think it's safer because you're just kind of like i mean you're really like no pun intended but you're on edge the entire first third of it it's just like okay don't mess up like don't fall off here you can't fall off here like you got to be really careful on all these sections um and I, i've since after the last time i saw that someone put in a a fixed rope on one section which i don't personally approve of but you know yeah. someone went up and threw a rope on on part of the route uh, i don't really know what the, the benefit of that is i think if you need to use a rope there you probably shouldn't be on the route in the first place yeah and I don't know what the weather's going to do. I don't know if someone's going to accidentally use the rope and because of solar, wind, water, snow, the rope breaks. I don't know. Mm. I don't. Really yeah, that's that's kind of sketchy because <clears throat> you're right. Like if someone's relying on that and it's not a reliable thing after a certain amount of time, right? Like eventually yeah. it'll kind of like decay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if you're going to use ropes for your own purpose, you should leave no trace. Yeah. Yeah. Set it up yourself. No, that makes sense. 
and take it down yourself. You I know? wanted to ask you about like, because you mentioned like being a climber and then being a runner, and this is like a cool like mixture of the two, but how do you stay like focused and safe when everything in your body hurts and you're physically and mentally like exhausted on this route? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I wonder, I wonder that too. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it just a necessity? You're just like, I have to, I have to say, yeah, it doesn't matter to. if I hurt. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to, I don't know. I feel like you get into that flow state and you're kind of just there. And if you have a strong mindset, you're going to be just on it until the end. Yeah. You know, and once you reach the end, you can kind of like let yourself shut down, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no room for screwing up. Um, unless you bail off the route, which, you know, a lot of people who attempt the world, they do bail out because there are a couple of places that are very tempting to, to bail, especially when you get around the, the ski areas like Alta and Snowbird, you can yeah. basically just link up with the trail and takes you right down to a parking lot, you know, two miles below if you, if you need to. And then there's other parts of the route where you are committed for miles and miles once you're up there. So I want to hear, like, I, I saw online, you posted something about like the unsub your unsupported, uh, whirl was the hardest thing you've ever done. Or, you know, like you, you said it, this is a quote from it slowly crawling to keep from throwing up. And I was oh, like, yeah, yeah, we need to hear about that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so going back to the very first time I tried, I, I always wanted to do it unsupported. Yeah. Because to me, unsupported is the purest way to to do uh, an FKT effort or or any effort because you're only relying upon yourself or, you know, if you're an unsupported team, you and a partner, uh, you're not manipulating any part of the route um, by stashing anything or having people help you. It's just completely on you in that environment without any exterior help. And that really resonates with me a lot. Not that there's anything wrong with doing supported efforts. It's just unsupported is my favorite way to, to do efforts. And so I was like, well, if I want to do an unsupported whirl, um, I wanted to do it when there was still snow on the ridge so that I could source water from the snow. Yeah. And I scouted it a week before to kind of suss out, you know, if there was the right amount of snow, like not too much, but I, you know, if there was so much snow, I couldn't really travel on it easily or there's just enough I could still source water and it seemed to be like good to go. Um, I did the beat out traverse, um, not only to suss out the snow conditions, but also to see what the gully was like coming off Lone Peak, which is the final crux of the world. And it was full of snow as one would think if you're, if you're trying to go early enough in the season. Um, and I kind of wanted to see what that was like too, because I needed to make sure like, okay, am I carrying an ax the entire time? Do I need to bring crampons? Can I get away with micro spikes? Um, and yes, I, I did need an ax and micro spikes to safely get down the, the gully, which is, which is pretty steep. I mean, yeah. it's steep enough. You can't glissade down it. Um, so you kind of have to like either use an ax and like down climb it, stepping, you know, like punching steps in yeah. as you go, but it's also like really frozen. So if you mess up, like you're going for a ride and my favorite way to do it is to actually like wedge myself between the snow and the rock and kind of chimney down it backwards, like crab walking with like an ax on one side and kind of kicking steps in with my feet. Um, anyway, so I went to go suss all that out and I was like, all right, well, there's snow on the route. I can source water. Cool. Like I'm going to come back next week and 
you know, give it an unsupported try. Um, also, in my purest belief, I don't believe in using unnatural water sources. So the tram was not an option for me. Yeah. So uh, I went up with, I think, uh, roughly three liters of water to start with. Um, and then once I got low on water, I was melting snow and like refilling these soft flasks of snow as I went um, with like a filter on it. And that worked out great for the first half. But yes. <laughs> my biggest mistake was I didn't anticipate the snow locking up at night. Oh. So I checked the temperatures and it was like, oh yeah, the lows are like 50 or 45. And I was like, oh, like, okay, the water, it'll still be soft snow. Like I can still melt it. Like that'll be fine. Yeah. Nah, it locked up completely. <laughs> so, so what do you do? So I didn't drink water. Oh uh, my God. So I ran out of water around the devil's castle, uh, which is a few peaks before Snowbird. And I was like, well, you know, I didn't know at the time that I was not going to get more water. I was like, well, once I get over like the ridge, like there'll be some snow that I can source. And uh, I also like was starting to get kind of dehydrated at that point because I was not, you know, I wasn't catching water. I wasn't having anyone meet me with food, no water, nothing. <clears throat> and I was like, all right, we'll just go slow and steady. Um, but uh, as you probably know, when you start to get dehydrated, you get nauseous. Yeah. And I got really nauseous. And anytime I stopped, I started like, you know, dry heaving. And I was like, all right, this isn't good. By the time I got to Snowbird, I was really sick because all of the snow that I had anticipated being on the ridge, it was there, but it wasn't melting at yeah. the rate. Even me putting the flasks next to my body heat wasn't melting it fast enough. So I was basically just going off of handfuls of snow and I was just eating them straight. And I was like, you know what? I can't get it through my flask. I can't filter it. I'm just going to like try to find the cleanest snow I can and I'm just going to eat it and just hope for the best. So I was just eating like handfuls of snow. But that's not sustainable because like a handful of snow is yeah, exactly. does not equal a lot of water. No, it doesn't. So because I was just, I was just thinking we were sledding yesterday with my kids and they were mm -hmm. thirsty. I'm like, eat some snow. Like, <laughs> yeah, eat some snow. I mean, it, but it doesn't it, work that way. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work for hydration. It kind of like tricks you into thinking you're getting yeah. hydrated, you know, the same way if you're in like a, you know, after surgery, they're like, oh, yeah, you can eat some ice chips. But, you know, it's not it's not the same as drinking water. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the entire second half of the route, I didn't eat anything um, because I tried to, but I just threw it back up. So I was like, well, I could keep snow down. So I kind of slowed down to a crawl and I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to bail. You know, I was like, maybe, maybe there'll still be some running water off of this peak or this peak, you know, which I had scouted out. And um, at one point I did find a puddle that had ice on it, but there was still some water underneath. So I did get like a tiny, a tiny scoop of water out of that. Um, but yeah, I basically didn't get any fuel for the entire second half of the world until I got down into Bell's Canyon to where the Creek was. Um, what, what is it like most people would stop or most people would bail. What is it about you in that specific moment that kept you going? Was it just hope that eventually you'd find water or is there something that you're like, is it stubbornness? Like, what is it? Do you think? Oh, I think it's a mix of all that. It's definitely <laughs> stubborn. I'm totally fine with suffering. Like I'm, I am comfortable being uncomfortable. I didn't think I was in any sort of grave danger. Yeah. Anyway. So I was like, well, as long as I can keep putting one foot in front of the other, I'm going to keep going. Um, and you know, I, I did, I did keep hoping I would run into some melted water at some point and I, I, I didn't, but I was hoping I would. Um, 
And uh, just pure optimism kept you going. <laughs> or lying to myself. Uh, <laughs> and I also like, I mean, I'd done the world like multiple times before. I yeah. had an FKT on it, a supported FKT uh, a few years ago. And I was like, no, like I want to do it unsupported. And I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't think yeah. it was going to be that hard. Uh, and I, I don't know. I just was like, this is the way I want to do it. And I'm going to complete it. And, you know, and then of course I told myself, yeah, once you do it the way you want to do it, you don't have to do it again. And now I'm like, but I can do it faster now. <laughs> yeah. Months remo removed from it and all the yeah, pain's like, gone. Oh, You're like, I could do it again. I could do it again. Like, I'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy. I finally got to do it unsupported. That's um, amazing. It truly like, I mean, having interviewed a lot of people about various adventures like that the world sounds like a really 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 hard one you know like it just and maybe it's because i'm not as comfortable with like climbing or exposure and that's like a whole another aspect but the route just looks hard i don't know how else to describe it it's very hard i have uh some some peers who call it the hardest 50k in the world it, I mean, I would, yeah, I don't know if that's, if that's true in any way, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure you could find a lot of incredibly difficult 50 Ks, but it yeah. is, it is really difficult. Um, and it's certainly a lot more fun when you have company and you have friends meeting you with snacks along the way. But I was like, you know what? Not for me. I, yeah. I wanted to like, you know, I'd done it mostly alone. Most of the times I'd done it. Yeah. Um, and you know, once I had someone bring my ax to me halfway, so I didn't have to carry my ax the whole time. But like, other than that, it would have been unsupported. And I was just like, well, I've done it like almost unsupported, yeah. you know, most of the time. Like, so let me just like do it the way I've always wanted to do it. And uh, I don't know, I've, I'm really happy. Yeah, I wanted to ask like, so you're an artist, your art's incredible. Um, we were, my wife and I were looking at it yesterday and we're just, our minds were blown. Like it's so, it's really, really, I mean, I'm sure you can talk about it, but I just thought it was really cool. It was like a mixture of um, like the outdoor, like it's just, you can tell it's from an adventurer. I don't know how else to say it. Like you can tell that it's from someone who's been out in the wilderness where no one else has been, you know, it's, it's representative of that, which I think is really cool. Do you think there was something about like wanting to do these things unsupported or wanting to do these kind of like almost like creative adventures that call to you. Is there something about being an artist that like corresponds with that, I guess? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's, <clears throat> I'm sure this is the same for, for most athletes, but whether you're an artist or not, it, what you do with your sport is a form of expression. And my art is one form of expression and running routes is another form of expression. And my favorite style, is to do things unsupported because it's it's the way that I like to express and explore myself as a human being. Yeah. To put myself in very raw situations because I'm curious and I want to know what my body and my mind are capable of when you're pushed to those extremes. And just like a piece of artwork, I feel like it's just my style. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I would say that like, that both art and running are in a kind of a symbiotic relationship, but they're both separate forms of expression um, in and of themselves as well. Yeah. Do you, um, so you mentioned like, like what you find when you push yourself to the extremes. I always think of it as like 
to me doing like a hard endurance event even if it's if it's like an organized race or if it's like just something out by myself i feel like the gold medals or whatever the rewards that you get are mostly or almost always internal and mm -hmm. they're usually like realizations or epiphanies that you have along the way or along the journey um what have you found like when you push yourself to the extreme extreme and you don't have water or you're you're swimming across the lake after climbing the tetons or something like that like what what kind of things about yourself do you find i think it's just your human potential i mean we can push ourselves so much further than you initially think and from completing things or even you know attempting them and pushing yourself further than maybe you thought you you know, you learn your limits, you learn, um, confidence. Um, and I also just think it's a beautiful way to interact with nature because we are from nature. We are nature. I think most of us have as a human species have forgotten that, but it's a great way to just put yourself back into a very real environment, even if, you know, you're kind of, you know, stepping out of the norm of your day-to-day -day life to try to explore that. Um, but I don't know. I find it, yeah, confidence building. I think it's spiritual. I think it's, I don't know, ethereal. Um, yeah, and I just find pure joy being out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Like, you almost, like, uncover these very human realizations and a lot of times for me anyways they're always like simple ideas or simple thoughts and i'm like if i try to express it it's like yeah of course like of course like i don't know i just remember once i'm on a run i realized uh the whole idea of like controlling what you can control mm -hmm. and i'm like people say that all the time <laughs> but i've like experienced it and it was different because i experienced it and now i know <laughs> that experience. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it's really weird. But I feel like that's kind of like, at least what draws me into things like this, you know? Yeah. No, you're, you're like out. Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine put it, um, chasing clarity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's obviously coming from a very privileged, privileged position where we can like go out and like sacrifice time and calories and, you know, life and limb. Um, totally. um, you know, so I think it's also important to keep that in mind that, you know, I'm going out to like recreate and do this, but it's also like, it's so beautiful. And, uh, I feel very fortunate. I get to get to live in Jackson and can explore the, the mountains and the wilderness. And, oh yeah. Jackson has to be like one of the prettiest areas in the whole entire world. Like you have two amazing national parks right there <laughs> with those. The Tetons are just like insanely mind blowing. Like I, we went up a few years ago on a family trip and I'm just like, this is, this place is unbelievable. It's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, parts of it get, get pretty crowded uh, yeah. with the, with the tourists, but you can, you can get away and find a lot of solitude if you are willing to go a couple of miles. Yeah. Do you, um, so being out there, the thing, cause I'm in Colorado, we don't have grizzly bears. I know Jackson, that's like a big thing. Is that mm -hmm. a concern at all? I mean, I know it has to be a concern, but is it something that, how do I describe it? Like I went for a run, we were staying in Victor and 
I jumped on some trails up in the woods and in the back of my mind, I am like, there's like grizzly bears in this area. Did you have bear spray? I didn't have bear spray. So that, and then I kind of like, you know, got off the trail and went back on the road a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. How do you handle that? Um, well, yeah, there are definitely bears here. They're black bears and grizzlies and you, you can't forget that. Um, I've definitely run into plenty of bears before, both black bears and grizzly bears. Uh, so far, I've been very lucky in my encounters. Uh, they have not bothered me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that that's always going to be the case. So usually if I'm running alone, I carry bear spray. Um, if I'm with a partner, you know, depending on where we're going, we debate whether to carry bear spray or not. Um, when I did the wind over high route, I was like, okay, like, do I want to carry this can like huge canister the entire time? Cause I was really trying to save weight on that. But in the end, all I could see was this absurd headline, like solo runner eaten by bear <laughs> on the high route did not have bear spray. And I was like, okay. Wanted to, wanted to save weight in her pack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, just carry bear spray. Um, I don't always carry bear spray, but most of the time, if I'm by myself, I will, I will carry it and, you know, and have it somewhere accessible because that's the only way it's useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also make a lot of noise, especially if I'm running at night, like I'll clap my hands or I'll just yip or sing, or I don't know, try to make as much noise as I can. Yeah. Um, one of the, the routes I did this summer, um, I was going for an FKT on on the Teton bullseye and it's a just under 50 miles. And the last couple of miles I was coming out Cascade Canyon in the dark and the forest gets really tight around you for a while. And as soon as it got dark, I ran into a moose, a mule deer and a bear all within 10 minutes. And I was like, okay, I know that I can run down this pretty fast, yeah. but the fact that I just ran into three large animals at dusk, I'm just going to walk until the canyon opens up more because even with my headlamp, the trees are so thick that you could just run straight into an animal and not even know it because yeah. they don't care that you're there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the ways I, uh, you know, deal with the, the animals as though, even though I would love to have maybe finished the route a little bit faster, yeah. I chose to be a little bit safer because, you know, I had already run into a couple of animals and I was like, all right, like just, just walk fast until you can see around you. Walk fast and sing. Yeah. Walk fast and sing and clap your hands, <laughs> you know, snap. My, I click my poles together, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's awesome. No, yeah. that makes, I mean, yeah, I, it was just weird because I'm like, I'm in Colorado. Like there are things out here too. Like we have moose and all that. And I've ran into Mount a bunch lions. mountain lions and all that. And I don't know why it was just like a, a, a new thing for me. I was like, oh yeah, there's like grizzlies and I don't really know what I would do if I were to run into one. But, uh, but yeah, I want to ask you about your art and mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, and this is such a, like a, probably like, I don't know if it's a dumb question, but I wanted <laughs> to ask like where there's no dumb questions. That's what I tell my yeah. students. And then sometimes I'm like, hmm they were pushing that one. That was, that was close. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, out with the kids. A little bit. No. Um, I wanted to ask like where the creativity comes from. Like, how can you even express that aspect? Like what makes you, when you sit down to 
um, make a picture? Like what makes you feel that need? Like I have to express this and I have to express it in this specific way. Mm. I, I think it's less that I have to express it in a certain way and more like I want to explore this and see if it comes out the way I imagined. Uh, usually it doesn't come yeah. out exactly the way I imagined. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I was a little bit better about drawing in my uh, college years and early 20s. Actually, like through my 20s. I think lately I've been focused a little bit more on running, but I'm okay with that because I think, you know, at some point in my life, I'll just move back into creating more art. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just had like this urge to just explore drawing, especially with pen and ink, which is my favorite medium to work with. And I would just be up until like two in the morning working on pieces of art and especially in college. And this was, you know, before Instagram. And I, I think it was before I had Facebook or anything. So there was less of a, and this sounds so silly, but it's also, I have a lot of opinions about this as a, as an artist. Um, I'm sure other artists and musicians, photographers would agree. Social media kind of makes you feel pressure to keep putting out creative things at a very fast rate. And I don't think that's good for creativity because mm -hmm. you should have room to like explore and mess up and not share things, you know? And I don't know. I really appreciated some of that, some of that time, uh, in college and, and earlier in uh, my adult life where I would just create art for the sake of creating art and didn't feel the need to show anyone any of those pieces. And I think it was some of my best works of art. Yeah. Did you eventually like, I don't know. I have this weird feeling. It's a long, it's kind of a long story. We, me and some friends made a film over the last two years and it took two years of like creative work. And I've never personally like done anything that creative before or collaborative or anything like that. And while we were making it, and it was really hard to express this to people, but I think like people like you might kind of understand this, but like while we were making it, it was like this small, like it was our thing. There was like a few of us involved in like the editing and stuff like that, right? And then as soon as we shared it, it like transformed and became this different thing. It was this different feeling where I'm like, oh, now it's not just like our personal thing anymore. Now it's out there and people have seen it. And it, it wasn't a bad feeling. Like you're like the desk, like that was this destiny this whole time, mm -hmm. but it just felt different. And I don't know how to express that. But like when you're talking about some of the drawings you did that were just for you, did you eventually share them? And did you have that like same feeling? Uh, I share them with people sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, most of them I just keep in portfolios in a drawer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I like to look at them from time to time and I'm like, oh, wow. Like that's how I used to, that's how I used to illustrate. And oh my gosh, it was so much bolder. And I took more risk because I didn't feel the need to perform for an audience. Yeah. And um, yeah, I try to keep that in mind when I look at stuff now, which, you know, I, I, I love to draw. I mean, I like landscapes. I, I think they're beautiful to draw, but I also have a whole other side of me that wants to explore a much more surreal, um, uh, surreal compositions. And, and then I'm like, Oh, but like, you're never going to sell that piece. Cause nobody's going to like want that. Cause everyone just wants landscapes. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like that you're creating art to like, please other people and hope that you sell it. Oh, that's just like the worst. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, uh, circling back it's 
yeah, I, I like to start with an idea and then kind of see where it takes me because it, it's usually not what I think it's going to be is not how it turns out in the end. But usually I'm I'm equally happy with it or or I get closer to what I want to express, you know? Yeah. Do you, so how like do you it. how do you like formulate an idea just in general? Like, are you exploring like certain feelings or are you exploring like, I don't know, how does that come about? Mm, yeah, it's usually like a feeling I want to express through a certain composition. Um, definitely starts with a feeling. You know, you get that inspiration. You're like, oh man, I got to get that on paper somehow. And then you're yeah. like, how do, I, how do I express that? And I don't know. I still have feelings that I don't know how to express with illustrations, but I'm working on it. Yeah. It's fun to work on it. Yeah. Is there anything with with you where it's like, I have to get this out. Like I just have to do it. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't. And that's the whole like, kind of the opposite of um can I sell this or or whatever yeah. but it's just like I have to do this because I have to do this I don't know how else to explain it <laughs> yeah no I mean definitely like I just like oh I have to like get this out like I have this feeling it's like it's it's gotta get out of me somehow on some kind of medium <laughs> so yeah if I have a blank sheet of paper I'll definitely I'll definitely try to throw down on it might not be exactly what I wanted in the end but you know yeah. at least I tried yeah i was um i read an article or like an interview with you and you mentioned this idea of like a lack of structure um while you're growing up in certain ways um that helped you be comfortable like being artistic or like getting in touch with that part of your brain um can you kind of talk about that lack of structure and like why you think that's important and then also like when I hear about doing like an unsupported world, I'm like, that's a bit like being comfortable with lack of structure, it seems like. Yeah, uh, totally. Um, yeah, my parents allowed my sister and I to like run pretty wild in the forest, <laughs> which was also, a, you know, obviously a, a privilege we had growing up, uh, access to the to the forest. And um, yeah, and I, I, I think I, I get stuck between, uh, especially with art, trying to create structure to create in like coloring, you know, within the lines and trying to break through those lines. And it's like this, I feel like it's this eternal struggle that I'm never going to yeah. like exactly beat, but I love to try to explore that. I think, yeah, having that, the lack of structure allowed my sister and I to play really creatively. We didn't really watch a lot of TV. Um, so we had to use our imaginations. Like we had, ton we had all these like, you know, briar horses and dinosaur toys and we were always like coming up with these incredibly elaborate stories with our toys and that was like really fun and I'm like man like we we had like I don't know we did like pretty incredible things as kids and the forts and that we built and and the games that we played and uh yeah I mean I think that that uh, has affected every part of my life and especially when I'm coming up with new routes in in the Tetons, um, I guess I've, I've only done new routes in the Tetons, but it's like, oh wow, like why would I stay on this line if I can connect it to this other line? And like, yeah. what's that going to be like in the end? And like, oh wow, like that's a cool thing to explore. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that exactly answered your question, but no, that makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense to me. And I think there's the whole like when you're watching like if if you're a kid and all you do is you're sitting there and all you're doing is watching tv and people are telling you stories and mm -hmm. you're consuming stories that other people are telling like you get used to that mm -hmm. um versus when you're being creative and you're making up your own 
stories and your own forts and th- and stuff like that. And I think that's like a powerful uh, part of li- of life experience. Yeah, for sure. And we, you know, my sister and I were very smart about being out in the forest. Nobody told us we had to be overly careful, especially like being girls. Like, yeah, I feel like a lot of, you know, compared to, to boys growing up, I feel like a lot of girls are told to be extra careful, like don't play with knives, don't do this. And, you know, and then you grow up thinking, oh, I'm not capable of doing that because, you know, I've been told my whole life, like, that's too scary to do or, or like traveling solo, you know, like, oh, I can't do that because I'm a woman. Like, and then you end up just completely boxing yourself in and not even aware of like what your potential is um, because you've just been told to be too careful. And so I feel like, you know, that, that plays into um, some of the adventures. Um, or the, I should say the adventurous side of me too, is I'm like, well, why hasn't a woman done this before? It's like, oh, cause you know, or why hasn't anyone done this before? Um, and just trying to explore that. Yeah. So I'm a dad of three daughters. Like I want, <laughs> I don't want, and I've caught myself telling them to be careful, you know, like yeah. at a playground or whatever, or like we were sledding the other day and things like that. And I don't want, I want them to be adventurous. I don't want them to feel boxed in, boxed in by like fear or whatever. Like, yeah. do you have any advice? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, my, my parents raised us the same way they would have raised us if we had been boys as well, which was just like, go out and get dirty and climb trees and fall yeah. out of those trees and get, get hurt. And then learn that if you are going to grab a hornet, you're going to get stung. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. You're just going to get hurt and then you'll learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we were just, uh, just allowed to kind of just be pretty wild. And I think we learned a lot of, you know, both my sister and I learned a lot of really important lessons. Um, like my confidence in the forest. I, you know, spent my entire childhood, like I spent a lot of my time alone or I was riding my horse without a cell phone, without GPS, without any of that, just out in the wilderness, like off trail, following just random game trails, you know? And I'm like, huh, like, I wonder how many kids are actually allowed to do that. You know, it's like, and like I said, that that's definitely coming from a, a very privileged uh, place, yeah. but it taught me a lot of confidence. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, of course I can go off in the woods by myself because I've done it. I know how to do that. And I also yeah. am a total nerd. So I'm like, oh yeah, like this is a lodgepole pine and this is a Douglas fir. And like, I don't want my horse to eat that flower because it's poisonous. But like, I could actually use those flowers as like a medicinal topical um, compound if I get a scratch or if yeah. I get stinging metal on my arm, I can take these pineapple flowers and rub it on there and then it'll make it go away. And that's just like learned like, all of this knowledge about the forest just because I was allowed to go out and play in it. And I was curious, Oh yeah, what does all this do? And then now when I go out into the mountains alone, it's not a hostile environment or as much of a hostile environment because I'm familiar with the flora and fauna and I know how to build a shelter if I need to and et cetera, et cetera. Because I mean, most of that's kind of stems from childhood where you get to go out and like make campfires and build forts. And yeah, I don't know, maybe Maybe that helps. <laughs> That's amazing. No, totally. No. And especially like, like I just being inspired to it's like, I feel like parents, in, including me and my wife and, and people we know, like you get kind of boxed in on fear by fear a little bit. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, but reminding yourself like, yeah, I had all these freedoms as a kid and I was able to roam the forest and things like that. And, you know, I, and I, there's a lot of positives that came from that, you know, um, I think that's an important reminder for a lot of people. Um, I want to hear one last story real quick and it has to be about the picnic. I got to hear about the picnic. I know you've told the story. I watched the REI film this morning. Uh, it was awesome. It was very well done. Um, I remember hearing about this a long time ago and I think, I, I mean, the Tetons itself, like climbing up those look really cool, like beyond cool, like some of the coolest mountains in the whole entire world, probably. Um, but then to, to ride your bike and then swim across a lake, climb a mountain and then swim back across the lake and ride a bike back into town. Like that just seems like awesome. Like what a great adventure <laughs> just out your back door. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, what year is it? 2013. Um, my friend David Gonzalez came up with the picnic because in Jackson, everybody kind of tries to one up everyone else by like, by casually dropping what a huge day they had. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I just got back from, you know, running the grand middle in South Teton and I'm just going to like go out to dinner now, you know, no big deal. <laughs> and he's like, how can I come up with like the most absurd thing in Jackson? And David also loves swimming. So naturally he had to throw a lake in there. Yeah. So he's like, all right, so you're going to start from the town square. You're going to bike. I think it's 26 miles to Jenny Lake go to the widest point um, from east to west, swim across that to the boat dock on the other side. Then you're going to climb the Grand and you're not done yet. You're going to climb back down the Grand and then put your wetsuit back on and swim back across the lake. And then you're going to bike back to town. And he called it the picnic. And then you're going to go out to eat with some friends like, ah, you know, like I just yeah. biked to the, and swam across the lake. Yeah, and, just yeah. rode my bike and swam and climbed the Grand and no big deal came back did all yeah. of it in reverse yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah the notion definitely kind of started as a joke but like also a kind of a serious joke because you have to have endurance um i would say swimming skills except like i definitely don't have swimming skills and mountaineering skills to do it um and i like to remind people of that because i know and i encourage people every year to do the picnic but a lot of people also just hire guides to take them up the grant and i'm like well are you really doing the picnic if like you're like getting people to kind of take you up there? I don't know. Like we can talk about that later. It's not a true picnic. It's like a, it's like a guided picnic. I don't know. Yeah. It should like, be a different category. Yeah. It's a little weird. It's a little weird, but you know what to each their own. Right. Um, so I was invited to do the first group picnic in 2013. Um, <laughs> David sent out a list to like a couple of his, his friends who were, you know, endurance athletic yeah. people and, I was very honored to get that invitation, but I was like, I was like, what is this? And like, oh, swimming across the lake. And I hate dark water. I hate water generally. I don't, I don't like to be in water. I'm like, mm, no, I'm like a dry, hot rock kind of person, you know? So I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But then they all went and did it. And I was kind of like FOMOing a little bit. <laughs> so, and after that summer, there hadn't been any women who completed it. And I was like, well, damn it. Like, I think I, I think I can do that. I don't know. Cause like, I have never done anything that big in my life, but might as well give it a try. And my good friend, Tristan Gresgo was like, oh, well, like, I'd like to do it too. Like, maybe we can do it together. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, what if we did it unsupported? 
because that hadn't been done yet. And I didn't, I feel like unsupported hadn't been like defined enough in my head yet. So I was just sort of like, well, we didn't really think of it as doing it unsupported. We were just like, what if we do it without any help or caches, you know, which meant that we had to drag our stuff across the lake with us. And so we're like, all right, how do we do that? Like, okay, we get boogie boards and, you know, dry bags and we'll put our gear in it and then we'll tie a rope around ourselves and like, you know, swim across with all of our gear for the grand. And anyway, um, so in 2014, we got to be the first team to do it unsupported, which is really cool. Um, and I got to be the first woman to finish it, which was also really cool. And um, I should say just, I was the first woman to do it in the traditional sense of like not stopping overnight to complete it. Oh, okay. Um, Cause you could technically like hike halfway up or climb halfway up and camp out. Yeah. There, there was one team who did it just a few days before us, but they, they camped overnight. Yeah. So I should say in a continual, in a continual push. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I was like, wow, this is cool. So then I went and did the Tiwanot picnic and my friend Ryan and I did the, Purple Teton Triathlon. So we did the picnic, but we did the Grand, Middle, and South Teton, <laughs> which is really fun. Yeah. And my friend Bree and I did the Mount Moran picnic, which was the only picnic I've done supported. And I, it actually turned out to be a really good thing that we did supported because she ended up having, I'm not sure what the term is, like a glucose reaction halfway down the rappels on Mount Moran and she passed out on rappel. And then there was like this whole like debacle where it took us like an extra eight hours to get off the peak safely. And then we got her to the crew and then she kind of perked back up for a bit and then ended up having to to bail out later. But um, yeah, that was a, that was a really big endurance effort because Mount Moran is further away on a bike. It's a much further swim and it's much, it's not a higher mountain, but it's a much bigger mountain and there's a lot more technical climbing on it. So was that one of the like scarier, like outdoor moments you've had? Um, I would say it was very stressful because Mm. it was just, I had to like keep building anchors over and over again. And then, you know, blowing her down to me because she couldn't even down climb, um, easy fifth class or fourth class. It was like very, very scary. And then a thunderstorm rolled over us because we were on the mountain for so long. And then I had all the metal, like all the cams were in my backpack and I was like, oh my God, like we are in a very exposed spot on the mountain. Um, it ended up being totally fine, but like, it was just, it was, yeah, it was a very stressful kind of rescue situation to, uh, to get someone who was only like semi-lucid off the, off the yeah. That's crazy. That's like, I love how like Jackson has this whole community of just like, Hey, we're going to do these things and we're going to call them the picnics and they're <laughs> going to be the craziest, hardest things you've ever heard of, but we're going to call them the picnics. Oh my gosh, David's come up with some wild ones since then. He's got like this Mount Hood one where you swim the Columbian and it's like <laughs> flying and he swims it twice and there's barges in there and like he has to time it right with, with the boats and and then he's got the Wind River one, which is just like, which takes like three days to do. Um, and he's got, I don't know, he's got all kinds of crazy ones. I mean, you can talk to him about that sometimes. So if you're in Jackson, don't try, don't be like, hey, we're going to go out and do a picnic. Like people will misunderstand you. I mean, you can go have a picnic. I have lots of picnics. Also, well, I haven't done a you know picnic in a while, but you know, I don't know. 
have lots of, I bring my basket with me and I swim across this lake and climb this mountain real quick and then eat at the top. Yeah. I mean, do that too. I mean, that's fun. That's per- perfect. I'm in favor of that. Like, yeah, bring some champagne up there. Like as long as you get off the mountain safely, like, you know, do whatever you want. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Kelly, I want to like last question to kind of wrap up, like what, um, when you think back to just even like a normal regular day, like outside doing some sort of thing in the wilderness, what are the little, like, is there any like little, can you describe like little moments that like keep bringing you back to it? You know what I mean? Like, I think so often we talk about these grand adventures and yet the thing that we all have in common from doing these are these little things that we get to experience when we're out there. Can you kind of like give word to like what those kind of things are and what they mean to you? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that like the adventure running is more like a vehicle to get me to these really cool remote places. Yeah. But as long as I can get outside every day, I am very happy. I mean, I love listening to birds in the morning. I love foraging. I love like going out and finding morel mushrooms and chanterelles and porcinis. I love picking berries. Um, I love literally just walking around on a trail and finding like a caterpillar. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I think just walking out and being appreciative of all the little joys there are. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Definitely. Definitely. Well, awesome. Kelly, thank you for coming on the podcast. Where can people kind of like follow your future adventures? Um, where can people check out your art? Things like that. Uh, yeah. So I have a website, kellyhalpin.com and I update that. I don't know. Every once in a while, I'm not very good at it, but I have Instagram. It's K-Y-E Halpin. So Kai is my nickname. So K-Y-E. But I think if you just write in Kelly Halpin, I should, I should pop up on there. Perfect. Uh, I started a TikTok for some reason, because apparently that's the future. I don't really care much for TikTok, but you know what? Like whatever, I got one. And every once in a while, I put up like a little POV video. Yeah. That's a whole thing. Not really feeling that great about it, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's the perfect way to describe TikTok. I think like, yeah, not feeling great about it, but whatever. All good. I, I, mean, I opened the app and I'm like, oh God, like, what am I looking at? Stop it. <laughs> like, how, like how is this i don't want it i don't want this to be the future but you know whatever i'm playing that game right now so like, yeah whatever. yeah for sure for sure well <laughs> awesome kelly thank you for coming on the podcast i would love to catch up with you in the future after some amazing crazy mind-blowing adventure that you have i'm sure oh my gosh thank you so much for having me it's been absolutely delightful yeah <laughs> All righty, that wraps up this week's show. Uh, thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on, sharing your stories, inspiring me, but then hopefully inspiring everybody who listens because, man, it's, th- it's this time of year for me. Like, we're in the midst of January. I've been, all of my runs have been in the dark. Like, I'll start my run in the dark and I'll get home and it's still dark. <laughs> um, and so when I hear th- when I hear about things like the the adventures Kelly has gone on, the picnic, the world, I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like I am just craving mountain summertime so bad right now. But uh, but I know there's a few more months to push through. So um, thank you for coming on the show. Please check out her website, kellyhalpin.com. Um, and yeah, like I said, look at her art, look at, read about what she's done as an athlete. I mean, we barely even, like, honestly, we barely even scratched the surface of, of some of the amazing 
things that she's taken on. Um, and yeah, go check that out. And that would, that would be awesome. I'd be honored to have her back on the podcast at some point in the future. Um, right now, while I'm recording this outro is 4.08 AM on a Friday. I'm about to stop recording this, post it, and then go up and do hour nine of ballet. And I've, I started hour zero having literally zero, like not even base level, like below the base, like basement number eight of ability or knowledge about any thing dance related at all like no idea whatsoever i wanted to do something like i literally had no background on besides like seeing my kids uh in their classes and things like that um and now i'm on hour nine and dude it's crazy like the learning curve i mean obviously like there's a billion things you can learn with anything right but if you just start something the and you're like consistent about it and intentional about your learning the rise of knowledge happens so fast especially when you start from zero it's going to happen so fast and that's really interesting and exhilarating for me especially doing something uh like this and i thought january was kind of the perfect time because of what i just described like i'm not uh getting the outside time as much like it's it's cold it's snowy um it's dark like by the time i get home and get my kids settled like it's already starting to get dark out so we're inside and uh and so it's just giving me an excuse to go move for like an hour um and and learn and grow and and kind of embrace like I don't know. I'm just like, what's the thing? YOLO? Is that a thing? That's that's still something. I have to always ask my middle schoolers, like, is YOLO still a thing? And then sometimes they look at me and they're like, sometimes they like confirm it. They're like, yeah, Mr. Ward is still a thing. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. But I'm like, yeah, man, like you get one life to live. Like you might as well try to embrace learning and being a lifelong learner and growing and doing new things, even if new things are completely outside of your comfort zone so anyways uh i'm sure at some point we'll talk about the whole experience uh (laughs) but uh but yeah it's been really interesting so anyways it's 4 11 now i have to get out and do this i have to get an hour in before work so um yeah but anyways we'll get back at you all next week uh thank you all for listening that was an awesome episode the world is insane look it up um the teton picnic there's an amazing uh short film with kelly in it um please look that up uh and be inspired so all right we'll we'll catch up with y'all next week